Jesus loves you, He forgives you, and you mean the world to Him. Amen? Amen. In ancient times, uh, there was uh, a ritual that happened when it came to war. Uh, war in the ancient times was brutal. And, and not that today's not, but in, in ancient times there were no guns. And so uh, it was hand-to-hand combat. And so a lot of times what happened was one army came and lined up on one side, the other army came up on the other side. Each of them had spears, swords, bows, and clubs. The commander of each army would stand in the middle and say, begin. And both sides would rush at each other in hand-to-hand combat uh, until one side suffered such great losses that they finally either retreated or gave up. And so sometimes to avoid that mess, uh, the commanders of each army, when they lined up in front of each other, they would pick their best soldier and put him in the middle. And they would fight it out one-on-one in a winner-take-all battle. Whoever won, that, team, that army won. You've seen this in the Old Testament before. Do you remember? David and Goliath. David and Goliath. The, the Philistines and the Israelites come together. They line up. And, and the Philistines said, we're not going to fight you. We're just going to send our best guy out there. You send your best guy. Whoever, fights, or whoever wins, wins. And they send out Goliath, nine foot nine Goliath, just this mammoth of a guy. And they said, give us your best soldier. And if, if we win, you Israelites become our subjects. If you win, we will become your subjects. And the Israelites eventually throw out teenage boy David, who ends up defeating this huge uh, being of Goliath. The irony is, the Philistines made the... the the agreement, right? Where, hey, if we lose, we'll become your subjects. Do you know what they do when Goliath loses? They run away. So they don't even uh, go by the agreement. Today we look at another battle that is very, very similar. But it's not earthly armies. The armies of heaven line up against the armies of hell, and the devil comes out and he says, give me your best guy. Give me your best guy to fight me in a winner-take-all battle. And who the, the heavens of army send out? Jesus. And the devil says, Armies of heaven, if I win, you become my subjects for eternity. If you win, I will become your subjects for eternity. And Jesus and the devil meet. Not with earthly slavery uh, in the air, but with your salvation hanging in the balance. We're in Luke chapter 4 today, beginning with verse 1. Here we go. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Okay, so Jesus left the Jordan. Do you remember what happened at the Jordan River? Jesus was baptized. And when Jesus was baptized, He was coming up out of the water, and what happened? The skies opened up, the Holy Spirit descends on Him like a dove, and God the Father speaks from heaven saying, This is My Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Can you imagine 
what a moment that must have been for Jesus. To, to have God the Father speak from heaven and say, this is my Son whom I love, with Him I am well pleased. Imagine if that happened to you. Imagine if heavens opened up and God said about you, this is my son, this is my daughter, with them I am well pleased. It would be just, you'd be on a mountaintop type experience, right? This is what Jesus just ha- what just happened to Jesus. And the very next moment, he was led out, into the, led out by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He goes from extreme blessing, extreme success, extremely close to God, to extreme hardships. And it's in this hardship that the devil approaches him. Because why? The devil loves an unfair advantage. Not in his favor, he, not in our favor, but it's his favor. And so that's your first point this morning. The devil loves to battle in the midst of hardships. And we see it, don't we? We see it. Yes, Satan uh, attacks us a little bit when we're feeling really close to God, but it's when hardships come into our life that we really feel the temptations, that he's really attacking us. And that's what happens here with Jesus. Jesus is really close to God, and then he goes into extreme hardship, and the devil draws the battle lines. And he says, give me your best guy. Is this it? He's tired. He's hungry. He's dazed and confused because he hasn't eaten for 40 days. Bring it on. Winner take all. And Satan throws the first attack. Here's what he says. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. Apparently, It must have been God's will. We're not told how Jesus knew it, but it was God's will that he doesn't eat for 40 days. Uh, I don't think anyone would voluntarily fast for 40 days if they didn't have to. And Jesus is doing this. And it's God's will that he does it. It's a very similar request that God made of Adam and Eve, right? He says to Adam and Eve, don't eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. You can eat fruit anywhere else, just not from the middle of the garden. And what did that allow Adam and Eve to do? show their trust in God, to show God how much He's worth to them. It was their way of worship. Here, Jesus is out in the wilderness and God says, don't eat for 40 days. Not just from a tree, but anything. And Jesus, it's your way to show your trust in me. It's your way to worship me. And it's my way of showing that I can be trustworthy. That's what God is doing here. And so for 40 days, Jesus doesn't eat. It's in the midst of this hardship that the devil approaches and he says, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What's really behind the temptation here? Because this doesn't really seem like a temptation. Yeah, you're hungry, Jesus, eat. But what the devil's trying to get Jesus to do is doubt God, right? If you really are the Son of God, why are you hungry? If you really are the Son of God, why is God making you go through this? This doesn't seem like a very loving thing, Jesus. I know what God said. I know He said that He loves you, but what kind of father would ask their son to not eat for 40 days? That doesn't seem like a loving God. Jesus, I'm not sure you can trust Him. If you were my son, I wouldn't ask you to do that. 
Jesus, just turn these stones into bread, prove that you are God's Son, and move on. It's the same temptation that He got Adam and Eve with, right? He approached Adam and Eve and said, did God really say you can't eat fruit from the trees in the garden? No, no, we can eat fruit, just not from the tree in the middle of the garden. Otherwise, we'll die. You won't die. God knows that if you eat from it, you'll be like Him. He's holding out on you. You can't trust God, Adam and Eve. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. It's the same temptation that He gets you and me with, right? You see, it's easy for us to trust God when things are going well. When we're feeling really close to God, when there's great success, great blessing, when things are going well in our life, it's easy to trust God. But as soon as hardships come, it's a different story. As soon as relationship problems start happening, and we start to humble ourselves, we pray, we read the Bible, we get closer to God, and yet things aren't getting better, and we're not hearing from God, we start to question, God, what is your plan here? Can I really trust you? I've been doing what you've been asking and things aren't getting better. Why would you want this for my life? When hardships come into our life and, and, it, and, and when we're in the wilderness and we're having health issues and we, we go from one doctor to the next and nobody can figure out what is wrong, we see specialist after specialist and, and we're praying and we're praying and God's silent, do we start to think, God... I thought you loved me. Satan's right there and he starts whispering, Are you really God's child? Can you really trust Him? Why would He do this to you? Why would He make you go through this? And it's enough for us to doubt. We take the bait, we get hit, and our trust is affected. And we turn and we shake our fist at God and we say, God, what are you doing? Maybe you don't love me. Maybe you don't know what you're doing. Because I'm not sure why you would do this to me. And we stop trusting God. This is Satan's go-to temptation. His go-to temptation is to attack our trust in God. Notice what uh, Satan doesn't start Jesus with. He doesn't start by taking him to Vegas or or Mardi Gras or the red light district, right? He doesn't do that. Nor did he do that with Adam and Eve. And he doesn't do that with us. He first starts with our relationship with God. Can you trust God? Because if he can get us to believe that God is holding out, if he can get us to believe that God doesn't have our best interests at heart, if he can get us to believe that God doesn't want us to have fun, if he can get us to believe that God isn't on our side, he can get us to do anything. And so he begins by attacking our trust in God. And that's what he does with Jesus. But the temptation that works with you, the temptation that works with me, doesn't work with Jesus. Jesus dodges the attack And he counters by saying, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus stands firm and delivers an attack by quoting God's word. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. Anybody know how the rest of this verse ends? And Jesus would know this. 
Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What words came from the mouth of the Lord before this? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus said, that is what I live on. I live on the mouth of the Lord. And Satan gets knocked down. But he doesn't stay there. He refuses to give in and he gets up again and delivers another attack. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. So the devil takes Jesus up and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and he says, Jesus, all of this can be yours if you just worship me. Jesus, didn't you come to win all of these nations from me? Didn't you come to suffer and die so that you can rule all these people? Jesus, I'm ready to throw in the towel. I will go back to hell and not bother you anymore. I will give all of it to you. I'll give up if you just bow down and worship me. The temptation? Jesus, you can take the easy way. You can have it all by cutting corners and not doing God's will. Jesus is true God, but He was also true man. And what did Jesus know was coming? Denial. Rejection. Hatred. Suffering. Torture. Crucifixion. And hell itself on the cross. And the devil says, you can have exactly what you want if you just bow down and worship me. I'm offering you the easy way out, Jesus. Man, he gets us on this one too, doesn't he? Satan approaches us and he says, You want to be liked. You want to fit in. You want to look like the rest of the world. You can be like the rest of the world. You can have God's love and approval. And you can also have the world's love and approval. All you have to do is keep quiet about Christianity. All you have to do is live like them, talk like them, do things like them. Yes, you can still have your God and Christianity on the side. Sure, you can go on Sunday morning, but during the week, you can just blend in and have it all. You can have the easy way. Just do that. But what works on us didn't work on Jesus. As once again, he quotes God's word and completely demolishes Satan. He says, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Once again, temptation dodged and Satan is back on the ground. Satan has one more attack, though, for Jesus. Here's what he says. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, 
Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left, he left him until an opportune time. The devil takes Jesus and puts him on top of the temple and says, Jesus, you trust God so much and you think God is so trustworthy? Prove your trust in Him and prove that He is trustworthy. Throw yourself down. And Jesus, you're, you're in the, the business of quoting Scripture. i got a verse for you. He will command His angels to guard you carefully. Look, he won't even, uh, they will lift you up so you won't even strike your foot against a stone. That's God's promise. Promise. Throw yourself down. But what did the devil do? He took a verse out of Scripture, out of context, and plucked it out and twisted it so that he could do what he wanted. So that he could try to get Jesus to do what he wanted. And the Satan whispers this lie to us all the time as well. We're hanging out with friends. We know we're not doing godly things. And the devil whispers to us, It's okay. Remember all those verses that talk about how God forgives any sin? And that His forgiveness is free? He, he plucks verses out of the Bible and says, Hey, God says He's going to take care of you. And here's your opportunity. Taxes are up. All you have to do is fudge some numbers. No big deal. Just fudge some numbers. That's God's way of taking care of you. He comes to us and He says, Hey, God promises that He's going to give you a way out of temptation. So you don't have to stay far away from temptation. You can get close to it. You can flirt with it a little bit. And you can be sure that God's going to give you a way out. Because if He doesn't, He's a liar. So go ahead. Get close. And we test God. But once again, Jesus dodges the attack and lands an attack of His own. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And Satan is done. He can't take any more. He's knocked down for a third time. And just like the Philistine army ran and didn't abide by the agreement, the devil runs and doesn't abide by the agreement either. And he waits to come back at a different time. But Jesus stands victorious, winner, holy and perfect. The thing is, this, this little shot, this little snapshot of Luke chapter 4 is what Jesus' whole life was about. His whole life was uh, these mini battles against the devil where he completely destroyed Satan over and over again, never once falling into temptation. He was holy and perfect every single time, his entire life. Every single battle Jesus won against the devil. So what's this all mean for us? What is our takeaway here today? I could stand up here and tell you that the big takeaway is that you should go home and analyze all of these temptations that, the Satan, that Satan threw at Jesus because he uses them against us. So analyze them, see how they apply to you, and get ready to fight them. I could say that. I could say to you that what this means in the application is that you need to be in the Bible. You need to read the Scriptures. You need to, to memorize verses so that when the day of temptation comes, that you can fight against it. 
I could say that the devil will never give up and that he's going to come at opportune time, at opportune time, in hardship and hardship. I could say that too. And all of those would be fine applications. But understand, this section of Scripture is not about what you and I must do. It's about what Jesus did. This is about His pain being our gain. And so this is what I want you to take home today. It's your last point. Christ's victory is our victory. The comforting thing about this section of Scripture is that it's not an example for us. Are there things we can glean from it and apply to our lives? Yes, absolutely. But that's not the main focus. It is not about what we have to do. It's about what Jesus did. And what Jesus did was always fight the devil's temptations. He was holy and perfect in every single way. He always honored and worshipped God above all else. He always submitted to God's will. He always trusted that God had His best interest at heart. In everything Jesus did, He trusted God 100%, submitted to His will, and never once sinned against the devil or against God. He never once gave in to the devil's temptations. And He didn't do it just to be our example. He did it to be our substitute. You see, Jesus constantly lived holy, perfect, righteously. And when He shed His blood on the cross, He shed His innocent holy blood to remove all of your sins, to forgive all of your sins. But not only that, He replaced your sin with His holiness, with His perfection. So that when God looks at you right now, He doesn't see a spiritual negative, as in somebody who sins. He doesn't see a spiritual neutral. He sees a spiritual positive, someone who is holy, someone who is perfect, someone who is righteous, because Jesus won. Now when God looks at you, He does say from heaven, this is my daughter whom I love, with her I am well pleased. He says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Why? Because Christ's victory is our victory. His pain is is our gain. So when you get home, and during this week, you can bet that Satan's going to come whispering in your ear. And you can stand firm, and you can say, Devil, you've lost. You've lost. I know that God loves me because He gave His only Son for me. I know that God has my best interests at heart, and you're just a liar. And when we do fall, because we will, we're still sinners, we can say to the devil, You may have won the battle, but you have lost the war. Because Jesus won, I won. His victory is my victory. I am forgiven, I am holy, I am perfect in God's sight because of Him. His pain, our gain. His victory is ours. May God be with you this week as you grow in that wonderful, comforting truth. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we praise and thank you that you went to battle for us, that you won against the devil every single time, and eventually you won the war at the cross. There you've forgiven all of our sins. There you have replaced our sin with your holiness. We are so thankful and we are so comforted by that fact. Help us to grow in that and to fight against the temptations of Satan as we grow stronger and stronger in our faith in you. In your name we pray. Amen.